Hello everyone, welcome to or welcome back to Relay. In this episode of Chat with a Pro, we're joined by Rose Harvey. I'm also joined by my Relay teammates, Cara, Laura and Peter. Rose, welcome to Relay. Thanks for having me, excited to be here. Really pumped to have you on. We've had some technical difficulties and this is I think like the fifth time of trying to record, so hopefully this one goes out with no glitches. Anyhow, so I think obviously I want to start off with recent news. Cara's just come back from the Diamond League. It looked super exciting i know peter was super pumped to see you know his main man noah lars in your photo you know he's run to that fan club you know he's he's repping it hard so uh, he was pumped best ever yeah best sprinter ever that's what i always say no one's ever been better <laughs> <laughs> i didn't realize i had been nominated uh that i had elevated myself to the president of his band club but there's worse places to be um no it's, it was an epic end to the track season i can't believe um how long it's been going i don't know about all of you i can't believe how long some of these athletes have performed for um but it was it was remarkable and yeah now on to my favorite season marathon season <laughs> does marathon season ever end no true <laughs> it keeps around. it's year round <laughs> it is it is constant um well speaking of marathons rose you're doing chicago um, yeah extremely exciting and uh so my first question for you uh speaking of fall marathons and transitioning and uh the goat noah lyles um if you could choose any song or wear any outfit to walk out to the start line of chicago what would it be okay so i think it would be taylor swift ready for it because you know what? I'm not actually a massive Swifty, but I spent some time in North Carolina with the Puma team who are like so big into Taylor Swift. And now whenever I go over to America, I have that association. And obviously I will be out in the States for Chicago, US Marathon. I just feel like it has to be that. I love that. Um, yes. I'm a huge Swifty. That's so a good song. Stamp of approval. Yeah, we approve. <laughs> um, well done. <laughs> you can see you can stay on the call. Yes, you're welcome to be here with us. <laughs> I passed. <laughs> I think. Um, still... Why Chicago? Oh, sorry, Marcus. I think I'm still trying to join the Swifty Club. Like, I know you tried to convert me a little bit, but it's just not happened. So, well, you're not listening to the right. I'll send you the right songs to listen to. I'll get you on board. I think I you need to listen to it. You need to listen to it with a Swifty because then we. I mean, I abuse my Swifty. This this weekend, I posted two reels in one day, both Taylor Swift songs. <laughs> I think my last three have been Taylor Swift songs, so yeah. I'm going to the same space. <laughs> um, okay, good. You need to be with a Swiftie because we will just, like Rose, she was with other people who loved her, right? It takes, we rub off. We like rub off on you and then you catch it. It's like a disease. Yeah. I'm thinking like, <laughs> once you catch it, it never leaves you. And it yes. only gets <laughs> and more contagious. <laughs> it's like a super strain. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> super strain for sure. There's no vaccine for this one. So. <laughs> I, I wondered like during these major marathons, if they are blasting, music during the race like would it be too much you know like are you like i'm in the pack i'm um, i'm among the pros i'm ready for a move oh wait here's my favorite taylor swift song <laughs> i i think it depends like when it comes on because some, like oh. sometimes it just the loud noises can be so abrasive and you're just like i can't do all this right now it's too much but yeah sometimes if it's a good song it can it can really help apart from if it gets stuck in your head for the next like 13 miles have you been to the Chicago Marathon before, like in attendance? No, I've oh, never done a that's... U.S. Marathon, so. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. That's it's super exciting. So, how did you pick Chicago? Well, I wanted to, I wanted to do a major, and there was basically it had to be a fast one because I'm going for the Olympic qualifying time. So it was basically between Berlin and Chicago. Um, I actually didn't get into Berlin, so <laughs> that narrowed down the options. And then, yeah, Chicago came up and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to get into that either because the field is stacked. But um, yeah, I got a place, so it was super exciting and a fast course. My coach is also in the US, so it'll be awesome to have my coaches there and be able to see the team and everything. So yeah, so it's a 
everything's kind of falling into place with it. I don't know enough about your situation, like your coach and team. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so I'm coached by Alistair and Amy Craig, who are the coaches for the Puma elite team. So I'm sponsored by Puma, but I'm not actually technically part of the Puma elite team because I'm not out in North Carolina. I'm not based out there. But um, they coach me, and then I kind of go over for, like, little training camps and um, just when the weather gets bad here, I can I can go over and they adopt me for a bit, which is nice. That's awesome. How long have you been with them? Or when did you sign with Puma? I signed with Puma uh, just over a year ago. So like last May, so a year ago in May. Um, and then I started training with Alistair and Amy. It was actually just after the World Champs. So yeah, end of July, start of August last year. I've been with them for a year. Awesome. I don't actually know Amy well. I imagine if she was my marathon coach, I'd be slightly intimidated. She always has seemed extremely tough. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the video of her meddling at the world championship. She like went to this crazy velociraptor arms and just like kicked down. And I was like, wow, this woman <laughs> really knows how to go deep. Um, what she's been like is transitioning she's a coach now and i know obviously but um what's it been like having them as your coaches yeah they're they're awesome amy's actually the soft one like alistair's the hard one wow i feel like amy's yeah amy's the one that um you know if you screw something up she'll be like it's okay you know you just had a bad day alistair will be like no that was crap (laughs) so it's good to have a balance between them (laughs) yeah you need they're both really good yeah, you need both. <laughs> but yeah, they're both awesome and they've got like so much experience in the marathon. Um, Rose, I thought it was really interesting uh, kind of reading a little bit about like your journey into running and into the sport because I felt in like a traditional, traditional sense, uh, it was very different. Um, and you got into it just a few years ago, like more seriously. Um, and here you are running for Puma um, with one of the elite marathon groups here in the States and going into Chicago, chasing an Olympic standard. So yeah, you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, I just found it really interesting. Um, just your pathway to where you are now yeah it's I mean it's been a bit nuts it's been a total whirlwind um I literally like I can't believe that three years ago I was yeah working as a lawyer and just kind of running as a hobby um never I never dreamed of going pro or anything you know it was never on my agenda but um it was essentially lockdown changed everything so I got made redundant and then I had this time to to train and I basically said it as a bit of a lockdown project originally um and I guess just kind of found a a hidden talent somewhere in there and loved it I absolutely loved it so it just kind of it absolutely snowballed it happened so quickly um but throughout that lockdown period I had a big breakthrough at the end of it um I ran like 231 in the marathon and yeah, very quickly from there, kind of went on to get an England vest and then went to the World Championships. And here I am, yeah, later. And then got signed by Puma and, yeah, been, been pro for a year. Managed to quit my job, which was really exciting. And, yeah, just put everything into running. I love that. See, kids, there's a thousand different ways to get somewhere. So many different pathways. <laughs> yeah. Rose, I was sorry that Oregon didn't, I'm out in Oregon, um, and I was sorry that our state didn't treat you better. Um, I think we <laughs> learned after the race that uh, you'd come down with COVID uh, for the world championships. Does it sounds like that was the case? Yeah, I actually didn't know about it until after the race, but um, I basically like got cramped about two miles in, mm. and but like really badly in both legs, and I was like, this is not right. And I ran, I ran with it until like just over halfway, but yeah, it got bad. Sorry to bring up a not pleasant experience. It was funny because I was out there with friends running around and one of my friends was like, I just met this man and his wife apparently started running just a few years ago. And we're all like, what, who is this person? So we were, we were looking you up out on the course. um, And then we were sad to see that you had to stop. So I'm curious, what does that, 
uh, look like as you think about trying to, you know, get the British Fest again? Um, like, what does that journey look like for you? And I imagine it's already started. Yeah. So the um, the window is is open, um, and I guess Chicago is it's not my only shot at it, but it's like a big shot at it. Um, I've got until the window closes end of February for the Olympic qualifying time. But kind of the goal is to like go hard in Chicago and hopefully that's it. Um, I might, I might have to do a spring marathon, but then it kind of gets into like, it's quite close. So if you do make the Olympic team, then it's quite a tight turnaround. So I think, you know, absolutely ideal situation is to just go really hard in Chicago and do really well and get, get the Olympic qualifying time. So that's plan A. I have a question about that. Um, Cause I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like previously you guys would often run like your trials at London. Like you would run like, like that's where a lot of times I felt like British athletes would qualify where you guys would have like your own qualifying race, like at the London marathon. So is this, this time around different than like the process has been before? Um, or like, how does that process look for UK athletes? Cause, um, I don't think I understand it as well. Um, as obviously like the American way, like the American process. <laughs> yeah. It, it changes quite a bit, but <laughs> I think, um, the window, the window is shorter. So the right. thinking behind it is because London is end of April. It's then um, too shorter gap. And right. I think they were basically saying like people who qualified in London then weren't having a good Olympics because they had such a tight turnaround time. Um, so that's why they shortened the window. But London, I don't think, I mean, I don't know, maybe London was a trial one year, but normally it's just done on like times from any race. But yeah, they're, I think they are trying to kind of be a bit more respectful of like the marathon and the recovery time after a marathon and being able to turn around. But I guess you must kind of have the same problem with the trials, right? Because it's annual trials, February. Yeah, they're early February this year. Um, they're mm. usually around February or like end of January, I feel like for like the last however many cycles um that's kind of when they are so we've always had plenty of time um to like do the trials yeah. obviously we have that time to recover and come up and then uh the olympics are always at the end of the summer so um, a little bit different for us yeah do you like having a trial i do good system yeah, I don't know how Kara feels. Um, I like the system. Um, I think it's it creates a great race. Um, and I think fans really understand it. And they can like really get into that when they know what's on the line. Um, and it's just kind of like, you know, you got to show up on that day. So I know some people don't like it for that because um, it, it really does boil down to one day. And as you know, in the marathon, if you have an off day, it can be tough, even if you've had a great season or you came in with one of the top times. But I think it gives everyone like a shot to like really go for it. Um, and it seemingly like makes sense to me as far as like how you would select the team. Um, I like but, it, too. I feel like it removes any like political stuff or um, I mean, sure, I, I can remember times specifically thinking about track when like Sonny Richards Ross didn't make the team once. And it was like she was sick. and It was so obvious that she should go to world champs in the 400 because she was going to win. So there are times where it doesn't work in our favor. But I think in general, it's just like Laura said, you know, the day you have to prepare for that day and everybody has an equal shot to make it. But it would be great to be selected ahead of time and not have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. I also like the sound of that too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like a 1220 start time in Orlando. I'm like, I don't know. It'd be nice to like go around Chicago, nail it and be like, yeah, done. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> what about like this year it's in Florida, so it's going to be really hot. Do you think that kind of changes the game a bit and that there'll be some people who can just run well in the heat and they might not actually be like the best marathoners for the olympics but they can just run well in the heat that's a good question <laughs> question <laughs> um yeah i mean obviously like you know we we can't we can't know what it's going to be like but yes it you know it could it could be quite warm um so obviously like generally speaking that that can favor other athletes that that tend to run well in those conditions versus others that maybe 
don't. Or again, it kind of changes how people just have to prepare for that so that you can be as ready as you can be. Um, but it's definitely an element that I think will make it a really interesting race. Yeah. And like all the mm-hmm. courses are different, right? Like that's one thing about marathoning is every, every marathon is challenging for someone else for a different reason. Like our last trials were on a very, very difficult course. Like I ran it the day before and I was so beat up just cheering the athletes on the next day, just from like jogging it. So Laura, I don't know how you ran so fast there. I really don't. That is such a hard course. Um, but there are some people who are better at Hills and some people who are, aren't. And it's kind of like, you know, maybe the the safest way to send the best team would to just emulate Paris perfectly. But unfortunately, we don't have the resources to do that in the US. We rely on a marathon that's willing to pay for us to come and put us up and host the race. And so then it comes like, what's the best option of those? And even in the States that we ended up with really just one because the other bid was disqualified. So the athletes know plenty ahead of time that what they need to do to be ready and what it might look like. And, um, just like Paris. I mean, Paris might be really, really hot or it could be cool, right? Like anything. I mean, talking of hot marathons, I mean, it's off topic, but uh, Sydney was just the other day and it was like nearly 29, 30 degrees Celsius for a major. And I was just like, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm going <sure> <laughs> to fly that far to run in that heat, to be honest. It's <laughs> a so no for me. <laughs> yeah. How much money you got to spend to get to Australia? I was like, Ugh, I don't know. Anyhow, I digress. Um, I wanted to go back to uh, the big half, which was a recent performance for you. Are there any sort of key takeaways that you reflect on in that race that you're going to take forward into Chicago? I know it's obviously a different distance, but just key points. Yeah, I think a big one was pacing and trusting my own strategy. And in, I actually don't have that much like racing experience in that, the marathons I've done, I've always been going for a time. London, you end up by yourself for the last 10K. And so I haven't actually had that many races where I've been like racing other girls and going for a position. And the ones I have, I think I almost get a bit of imposter syndrome and I'm like, everyone else has loads of experience. I'm just going to go with their race plan and try and hang on. And I've kind of slowly realized that's dumb. And especially (laughs) when you get like 10K girls in the mix who go off at like five flat pace as a marathon, I I blow up. And my coach has tried to tell me this quite a few times. And I think finally I listened in the big half and stuck to my pace strategy. Um, I was actually like back in fifth for ages and then kind of moved my way up to fourth and just hung there and then trusted that I could come back and hold it for the rest of the race and pick them off and it worked so I think that was like a really good lesson finally learned that I'm going to take into Chicago and just trust my own strategy and what my coach is saying and don't like get hung up on what everyone else is doing around me that was a big one I'd love to hear like how you like manage that as well Laura as well because that's something I guess you could speak of better than I could like how you manage that that pace judgment as well and trusting yourself Yeah. Um, I liked what you said, Rose, because I feel like when I first like came out of college and I was slowly kind of like finding my way, like on the pro side of things, I had imposter syndrome as well. Um, and I remember, I don't know if Kara remembers this, but I raced the TC 10 mile, like in 2012, maybe I can't even remember. Uh, and Kara was racing and I'd never met her, but she'd obviously been an idol of mine for so long. And so all of a sudden you're on this start line with these women that like you had like posters of it, like uh, like posters of in your bedroom. And like suddenly they're next to you on a start line and you're like, why am I here? Like I have no business being here. Like this is terrifying. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, that kind of goes away as you start to race more and you kind of start to find and trust yourself within the races and really put the blinders on and focus on like your plan. Um, and like lean into what you have done to prepare specifically for that race. But it's easier said than done. Um, it's really hard sometimes to like, just not go at the gun and just throw yourself in it. I think some races you do that. Uh, and then other races you have to be a little bit more calculated. Um, but it's just knowing which strategy works where, um, and where you're at with training and kind of where you are coming into it. Um, but I've been there myself (laughs) and sometimes still kind of have those moments where you're like, yeah, like everyone's doing like incredible things. And, um, it's easy to kind of be like, wait, like, can I erase these people? But the answer is yes. 
you can. <laughs> um, so definitely take that into Chicago. You deserve to be there. Um, you've definitely earned that spot. Um, and it's a fun part. Carl, I'd love to hear your experience of that as well. It's when it's like, obviously it'd be good to get you, have you, have you sort of transitioned between that point of like trusting yourself and just racing your own race? Well, I love Rose that you're like, I need to run my own race because every marathon I ran, not every marathon, but most of the marathons I ran, I was told just go with the leaders and then out kick them. And I was always running, literally, I was just always running someone else's race. And it wasn't until I'm trying to think maybe 2012 Olympic trials where I finally knew what I was capable of doing on that day. And it was like, okay, I'm going to stick to that because that's the best chance I have of making this Olympic team. If I go with like a bold move, if Shalane or Des makes a bold move, I'm going to blow up. And so at that point, I was like more than, you know, I was cresting the curve and the arc of my career and on the downside. And so I wish I had learned that lesson a lot earlier. There's no shame in letting people go and running the race that's right for you and making that progression and then coming back. And then the next time you have more, I think of someone like Emma Bates that's done that really well. She was, she's like, this is what I'm here to do. And this is a step to the next one. And so the sooner you can learn to like trust yourself and know what you're ready to do, I think the better it is for the race, but then even the rest of your career. Peter, were you about to say something? Oh, I was curious. Um, I know a lot of athletes are thinking of you know, have marathons coming up and it's this kind of crunch time of how do you approach it? Um, so I was curious how you're thinking about, uh, taking a crack at Chicago. I know there's, uh, you know, sometimes people bring their own pacers. Sometimes they chatter and just try to find some people to run with. One thing I always find very humorous around Chicago is, um, you know, it's mixed men and women together from the gun. And so they often cut to a motorcycle and, just because there's men that is following elite women. And just because I know a lot of American men, I'll see these men who are just like, I'm like, I know that guy. And he's just so stressed. <laughs> and he's just like right in the camera view. Like, and you know, you know, the average fan is like, get out of the view. And I'm like, no, that guy's just doing whatever he can to like not fall apart, you know, like, um, so you're, you'll be around, uh, these people who, I mean, I think you'll probably look to your left and look to your right and be like, that guy's never going to make it at this pace. Um, like maybe this guy's <laughs> more composed. Um, do, do you know people who will also be in attendance in Chicago or how are you thinking about approaching the race? I mean, I'm kind of hoping that there'll be a good contingent around, near the like 225-ish mark. Um, the field's so deep and just looking at kind of who's starting, I feel like there could be could be a group of women. Um, but also, you know, it's a, I feel like it's a bit of a benchmark time. There's, there'll be lots of guys going for it. So hopefully there'll be a good group. It's actually co- totally coincidentally, a guy who was just in front of me at the big half, who I ended up running with for a good chunk of the race, is a friend of a friend and he's doing Chicago and going for 224, 225. So we've actually now like, we've done a couple of sessions. We've done it. Well, we did a session at the weekend together. Um, he lives like really close. It's just the most bizarre thing. So hopefully he'll be like, I need, I was just saying to him like, Nick, you need to push to the front and then, <laughs> and then we can run together. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. The running community is so small <laughs> and like there's so yeah. much open- it's hilarious. You can just like meet someone randomly like that and then be like, wait, what? You know, like five of the same people. And then ultimately you're like going to be at the same race. eyeing the same goal. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I think I just want to go back to the big half. And I know you mentioned in your podcast recently about uh, mile 11 being a bit of a challenging point where you had that kind of difficult moment and you were talking about that mental chatter and trying to like get sort of go through it and um, back into a kind of a, a more calm space. Can you talk a little bit about that and I guess the kind of things that you're looking to develop from that? Yeah, it's, um, that was, I mean, that was another kind of big takeaway for the race. And I think in a marathon, you have a bit more grace because you can kind of mentally go off a bit for a mile and it's not a disaster, but in a half, when you lose like five seconds over a mile, well, that's a bigger chunk. Um, and I think in the big half generally, you know, I went into it like a really positive mindset. Training had gone well and I was just there, you know, I wanted to just have fun with it. I hadn't raced a half in a while and it was British champ. So I went into it very much like in a good place mentally. Um, But yeah, I think one thing 
I noticed I struggled with was when it started to really hurt around mile 11, I started thinking about how much it was hurting. And I kind of go into this. I feel, I feel like I have a real marathon mindset and it's almost like my body thinks I'm always doing a marathon. So at mile 11, it's not like push through it. You've only got two miles. It's like, Oh God, I'm going to blow up. And then it took me like a mile to be like, hang on, you're nearly there. Just forget about how you're feeling and just trust it and run. And then as soon as I clicked out of that, like I was able to pick up the pace. So I obviously wasn't blowing up that catastrophically, but it definitely was a reflection and something I then took back to my sports psychologist of like, how do I click out of that like chatter and going and kind of looking internally and worrying about how I'm feeling because my sports psychologist straight away was like, well, it doesn't matter how you're feeling. Like, don't check in with yourself. Um, and this is something that's come up before actually on like race strategy. I think one time I was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, get to halfway and like check in. And they were just like, do not check in with how you're feeling. <laughs> Terrible idea. <laughs> Forget about how you're feeling. Um, and it's definitely something I've like practiced in sessions, you know, when that starts to come in of like, oh, it's hurting. It's just like, let it go. doesn't mm. matter. Just focus on your form or focus on your feet or whatever it is that can like bring you back to your surroundings and the process. Um, and it's something I find really helpful, but I just need to get there a bit quicker, I think. I love that because I always struggled. You guys were talking about imposter syndrome. I'd be like lining up being like, I never learned what organic was till I was 30. Like I grew up on goulash and spam. How did I get here? And then I, I could talk myself out before like the race even started and then even in the race. And so I worked with a sports psychologist a lot too. And I totally can picture and feel that point in the race that you're talking about. And I had to work on it in practice. I couldn't just apply it on race day. But it was like, for me, it was like a word um, that I would just say to myself. And, and it would instantly calm me and be like, no, 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 I've been here. And I and I got through it in workouts. I've done this. I've been through here. But I love that you acknowledge that because I think, I think everybody has those points in a race. I just think mm. some people just won't admit it because they think it makes them weak. But I think it's just a reality of you're running hard for a long time. And your brain at some point's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Or your body's a little tight and your brain's like, hey, why are we doing this? You know? And if you you have to practice that so that you can be like recenter yourself and refocus yourself. And I think it's cool that you just talked about seeing a sports psychologist. I don't, I don't think enough people like admit that that's an imp a hugely important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I don't get it. I'm like, you train your body so hard, mm -hmm. but then it's as much a mental battle as it is a physical yes. one. So like, why don't you train train your mind as well. Yeah, I think Kara's point is correct where it's like, I know for a long time I was like, oh, I don't need to see a sports psychologist because like I'm good. Like I have it all, you know, like I don't need that. Like I'm, I'm so sweet. <laughs> like, I, like I don't need it. Um, but it's so true. It's so helpful because so much of this sport is mental and the little tips and tricks that we all I think have to practice and utilize ourselves to really work through those like ebbs and flows of a race because yeah, like we're running hard for a long period of time and it's going to hurt. We're all in that space, but it's who's able to, like you said, just not check in to that and kind of like let it pass and stay in that space. Those are the people that, you know, obviously really like go on to have success. Um, I think that's so much of the key is navigating that, but uh, we need help to do that. Just like we need like coaches and PTs and like all these other things. So totally. I love that too. Totally. I love that you talk about that on your my, Instagram. Me too. My husband used to always be like, it's going to hurt. Don't let that take, catch you off guard. It always hurts. Right. And j just know it's going to come and don't let it catch you off. You're not going to go out there and feel flawless. Like we all have like one race where that happened. <laughs> and that is the unicorn that we hold on to. But that doesn't happen. Most of, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, there's that point where you're like, oh, I'm hurting. And so don't fear it. Like know that it's coming and have your toolbox like Rose was talking about. Her thing is like, I'm not going to acknowledge that. I'm going to move on and focus on my breathing or my form or whatever works for you. So yeah, just again, I love it when people talk about this stuff because I think it's super important. 
Same. I'm picturing like when someone rings your doorbell and you're like, let's pretend we're not home. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gonna be like <laughs> uh, you're not feeling well. Uh, this is hurting. And you're like, just don't, don't, don't answer the door. I don't live here anymore. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to that, Peter. That's actually yeah, really that is great. Like, just don't check in. I'm lear- I'm going to use these myself. <laughs> Well, I ran in Chicago years ago, and I just recall, like, it's very exciting early. It's very exciting in the middle because you come back through town, and then you kind of head south, and it gets kind of quiet there for a while. And then you head north, and you can see the, the skyscrapers, and you're like, oh, no. That's where I have to – that's where the finish line is. They're by the skyscrapers, and you're like, don't think, don't think about that. Don't think about that. So – uh, be forewarned. Like when you when you turn north, you still have you know you're in that final 10k, which is like I was saying to someone the other day, like what what tips and tricks do you have for yourself? Like bring all the tools to the party, you know? Um, how how do you think about how have you uh, what's it been like as you've leveled up? Like do, have you adopted new tricks for that final 10k, or is it like old tried and true things have worked for you? Yeah, I definitely think I've practiced and focus my training more around that final 10K. Um, because in the in the early marathons I did, I don't think I really appreciated like how hard it is and how good you can feel up to mile 20. And then it's hell. Um, so I think just being ready for it. And my coach as well is like so focused. He always talks about it in sessions. He's like, right, what we're doing, we're training for that last 10K of the marathon. Like forget about the rest because you're going to, feel all right if you unless you've gone off way too quick you know you're gonna feel all right so just focus on like preparing for that last 10k so a lot of my sessions are it's all about like hitting marathon pace or a bit quicker right at the end and just preparing your body to be able to do it and I think having done that work gives me quite a lot of confidence going into Chicago um because I know I can like pick it up on tired legs I know we've spoken a little bit about that with Matt Fox as well in the previous like, episodes of like Sweat Elite, and I thought it was quite interesting. But I just want to go back to what you guys were talking about before. I know you gave like another deep sort of meaning about you know the door and you know where you focus on, but I thought with Swifties you would have said something about shaking it off. I thought that would have been the key word. <laughs> well, Marcus, I it used to be my pump up song. I used to play that in my head, uh, so I have done that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that came out after I stopped running competitively, or that would have been my walk up to the start line song. Absolutely. <laughs> That's my karaoke song, like for so long, and shake it off. So, I mean, I don't know. You can do a lot with that song. <laughs> <laughs> karaoke, drive to, easy run. There's a lot. Of, yeah, there's a lot of scope. In that you song. see what we're doing here, Rose? We're just chipping away. You see how Marcus even <laughs> back into the conversation? So. That literally is the only song that I know. And I've had other friends trying to convert me into being a Swift. I'm like, that's all I know. Laura and I will make you a great mix of T-Swift songs that will rope you in. I'm actually super excited for this challenge. So we'll chat later, but this is definitely happening. Yeah, we're doing it. We're coming for you, Marcus. <laughs> and you're going to love it. The Swift is coming for me, yeah. I know, I, I, I believe that. Um, but no, it's interesting to talk about that, the marathon effort as well, because that's something actually Matt's been putting into my training. Um, I'm not trying to compare training, but like I thought it was quite interesting. Like, there's not, I mean, I'm not trying to say there's a like a secret recipe to marathon training, but I think that's quite an interesting way to add that effort in at the end, just to get your mind mentally prepared for that where it's going to go to because there's a lot of time to think yeah yeah exactly and I think just like not being scared of that if you can be as confident in that last 10k as possible then yeah when it starts to really hurt you know you've got through it in training so you can get through it again although we've spoken about just uh what it's like being a pro the other side of being a pro is the media side and especially with social media can you talk a little bit about like how you manage that and like the role that social media plays in in your training? Yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, to be honest, before I, it was like just before I went pro, when I had like my big marathon breakthrough and ran 231, before that I was deleting my Instagram. So I was like, then then someone was like, you should probably get Instagram because brands care about it. (laughs) And I've kind of slowly, I mean, I don't have a big following at all. And so I feel like I probably 
get the nice side of it. You know, I don't get, I don't have enough critical mass to get the bad side and all the criticism, which I know a lot of athletes do. And, you know, I'm sure it will come one day and it must be tough. Um, Eilish McColgan speaks after a lot about it. And some of the comments she just gets, I'm like, who are these people? Yeah, it's just, it's horrible. Um, so I think, yeah, I can't really speak from much personal experience of having the negative sides of it. But I think with anything, you know, it, it can be a force of good and a force of bad. It really makes my day when if someone comments or messages me being like, you know what, you've motivated me to go out for a run today. That literally like makes my day. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's, you know, that's why I do it. Um, so I think that side of it can be so positive, but you do have to be very conscious and especially as a pro, I think you have to be very conscious of like, it is someone else's highlight reel and you can get so wrapped up in like comparing to what everyone else around you is doing, especially coming into a marathon build up and lots of other people are doing marathons and you're trying to kind of see where you line up and it can be a bit of a dangerous rabbit hole for that. But I try to just, yeah block it and make myself just go on it to you know post and do the positive social media and not compare but it's tricky sometimes when it comes up and go into a scrolling rabbit hole yes we've all been there because <laughs> <laughs> so when you think about it like when you look at your social media it's quite immediate so you're thinking it's like quite there's a lot there but when you look wider there's only like a small number of professional runners and small number of marathoners so sometimes I think we get so wrapped up in like it's everybody but it's like only a couple of people yeah yeah totally you get so absorbed in like your own reality um yeah. and what's around you the comparison is really hard right like I didn't have social media in my career thank god I mean, I did at the very end. Yeah, I know. I did at the very end, but it was like at the end. And I knew that. And even then I would be reading other people's workouts and be like, I, I can't believe they're doing that. How are they doing that? Like I, I was training for um, the 2016 marathon trials and I was doing the best workouts of my life. And then I would go on Instagram and read other people's workouts and I'd be like, what am I doing? Like I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life and I could never do that workout, you know? And then at the trials, I beat all those people whose Instagram posts made me nervous. So it's really hard to not compare yourself. Even like, like I said, when everything is going so well for you, it's still hard to not be like, oh, they're, they're doing, but they're doing more and they're doing it faster. And it's tough. I think it's really tough for athletes now. It's a totally different game when you're constantly flooded and inundated with what everyone else is doing. It Because the way to be the best athlete you can be is to focus on yourself and make your own small progress and, and be confident mm -hmm. in that, that that's leading you to your overall big goal. But it's tough. It's tough. It's just a different game um, than it was back when I was running for sure. Yeah, definitely. And it is like brands do care about it. So I think it is you know, it's kind of got, you've got to accept like it is valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you said, it's just finding that balance with it. Right. Of like, you know, using it to kind of like share your experiences and kind of, you know, like what you're going through or what training's been like, or however you want to like, you know, mold yours. Um, and the marketing like component of that, that obviously is uh, conducive to brands and partnerships and things like that. But then also, setting that balance for yourself of like how much you're going to be on it. Or like you said, if you're really in a marathon build or like you're in the last few weeks before the big race, like kind of going on doing what you need to do, but then not scrolling and like getting off of it or like limiting time or things like that, because it's so easy to go down those rabbit holes, especially as we're all getting closer to like the same race or like, you know, whatever, you know, whatever everyone seems to be training for. And then once you start to kind of, once that doubt kind of starts to creep in, it can be really hard to like stop that slide. So it's just figuring out the balance of like what, how to use it, but how to also, like Kara said, keep the blinders on and like focus in on yourself. But it's hard. It's hard. It's so hard. I'm 45 and will never race again. And I had to set a limit on my phone because I would be obsessed. Like it just doesn't even affect my life. Like you were talking about the rabbit hole earlier. I'm like, where did the last three hours go? Why am I obsessing about this person's training who I am never going to race? And so, yeah, of course I can control it and I could turn it off. But right now I have 20 minutes on 
Twitter and 20 minutes on Instagram and then just shuts off. And I have to go into my settings and change it if I really want to. And, it's, and I'm like, that's embarrassing. No, I'm done. <laughs> that's embarrassing. You're like, no, I'm going to give myself like 20 yeah. minutes. And I'm like, I'm, I'm embarrassed right now. Like I w- to my son, I'd be like, no, you used your minutes. So, you know, anyway. You didn't pace yourself. You went too hard. Yeah. <laughs> <And now> it's, <laughs> <over>. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Is storytelling... Um, I'm curious, being on a team, do team members discuss this, like approaches to how to go about telling your story? I mean, I think it's, I sense that people get stuck down the rabbit hole of uh, stressing about posting too much or posting too little or like, um, just like, I wonder if that's something that's discussed, like, here's how so-and-so has made sense of it and like put it in a healthy place. As in with the Pima team? Yeah, just like, I think it's interesting you moved from just like thriving as an individual and then maybe having a small team around you to like, now you have peer pros that, you know, you're uh, able to, maybe social media is not the number one thing you learn about with each other. Um, Maybe there's other things that have really stood out, but I'm curious since we're talking about that, like, is that type of thing discussed? Like, okay, we all did a workout together. How are we going to... (laughs) um, (laughs) tell this story or not. Uh, I don't know. I think it could be, it could occupy too much mind space. Yeah, no, I mean, not really. I think the, um, the Pima team actually like don't seem to do that much on social media. Um, and I mean, the guys I train with at home, I basically have like one main training partner at home who I do most of my sessions with. Um, but he's like, not really on social media either. So they will just take the piss out of me for, you know, <laughs> making reels of the workout and putting it up. And <laughs> but I love it. Even that's, yeah, that's got to be hard. I remember I was, years ago, I was helping Gwen Jorgensen uh, with some pacing. And then she was like, handed me her phone. She's like, I'm sorry to do this. I need to take a bite of my protein bar. And I need you to record a 15, under 15 second video you know, of me taking a bite and talking about it. And I'm like, Hey man, paying the bills. Here we go. Like, <laughs> however it works. As Taylor says, haters gonna hate, but <laughs> and you just gotta do your thing. <laughs> oh, well, There's always a reference there to Taylor. Yeah. Actually, just going on that point about um, storytelling, and I found this is quite an interesting thing because because we're both in social media as well. We're all in social media, and we're at the Sir Chimney. 10k race earlier this year in Battersea Park and you got the course record for the 10k and I and I noticed after like I'm just there talking about it posters like pictures reels that kind of stuff and I'm like you didn't even say anything about it it was just like it just went under the radar I didn't even I didn't think I even realized it was the course record (laughs) (laughs) I was I was really annoyed because I was I think I was going for I wanted a PB and basically my coach had like said don't do that race because I don't want you to take for it. And like, you can't run a PB of tired legs. And I went in being like, no, training's going really well. I can do it. I'm definitely in 10K PB shape. And so he's always right. And it's really annoying. And I didn't run a PB and I was mostly annoyed that he was right. So <laughs> I was, yeah, I was focusing on that. I didn't even know it was the course record around there. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a bit of a last minute jump into that race, to be honest. So it didn't feel like, a big deal at the time no that's fair because I, I sort of think about it as well like in your day-to-day job you go to work but you don't necessarily post about it on social media like hey here's me at the photocopier da, 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 what performance. <laughs> <laughs> but you should marcus you should <laughs> <laughs> i will now i will <laughs> so I, I guess yeah there's definitely more pressures on the other side like from you from what you're saying as well like I guess the pressure to talk about or not talk about performances and just like just just doing your own thing. Yeah. And I think it's also like trying to find the balance between how on like how much to share because you want to be authentic and I kind of don't want it to all be a highlight reel, but at the same time, you know, some things you just don't want like a million people piling in on and you don't need the views on. Um, So it's a difficult balance to get, but yeah, I definitely look at like how other people do it and who does it well. But I think I just try to focus on, I guess, being authentic, but like, yeah, showing a kind of positive outlook, but being being authentic too. 
I guess like your friends will like forget, but the internet always remembers. I was curious, Rose, as you move to being a pro, I would think it would be like, okay, now I'm serious about this, but you were thriving, uh, finding your own rhythm, you know, pandemic times. I'm curious, was there anything were there positive things, but also negative things of like moving towards that? Like, I'm going to take it very seriously now. I mean, you've continued to excel, so uh, it's going well, but I'm just curious uh, sort of what those takeaways have been in that transition. I think finding, firstly, injuries. Um, I obviously built up very quickly, progressed very quickly, but with that came quite a few injuries. Um, so kind of finding, trying to be patient with it and finding the balance and what works for me. And just to be honest, not having, because I haven't had all that experience, I haven't had that time to like learn what works. And so it's going to be, you know, you're going to, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to, you're always trying to push your body to the limit. And I guess like just before it breaks and inevitably, if you don't know where that line is, you're going to cross it at some point. So I've had kind of a few Actually, until this is like the first marathon build, which don't want to jinx it now, but has been smooth and no injuries. I think I've, I'm learning the balance. That's definitely been a big one. I think just having, to be honest, surrounding myself with people who actually know what they're doing, because I do not know what I'm doing, but my coaches do, and I've got a lot of good people around me. So having that guidance like solidly in place now has really helped. Um, I think the other big thing is like finding the balance between having how much do you want running to be the only thing in your life? And obviously I went from the real extreme of working full time and run. It was like fitting running wherever I could, but work was first. And then I swung completely the other way and went was just pro and just focused on running for a bit. And, I wanted to go to all the cool training camps and be abroad and not have to stress about like, oh, I've got to do a Zoom call on UK time zone or whatever. So I really embraced it for a while. And then I've kind of found, I think in the, over in the last like five months, it's just a little itch. I'm like, I need something else. You know, I need to like keep my brain going. And I don't actually perform as well when I'm like so 100% focused on just running. So I need something else. And that was actually why I like started my own podcast and been working a lot on that. And just having that like something else. I mean, it's so like flexible and, you know, I'm still working for myself, which is great. But just having something else has been really good, actually. I feel like it's given me a bit of a new lease of enthusiasm. Yeah, I've always found that too. To like, it's nice to have something to step outside of the world that we can get so caught up in, um, and have that distraction or those hours in the day where you're kind of just like not so focused on like training and recovering and like all the things that you're doing for this for the you know for this like intense thing that we do. Um, I've always enjoyed having something to kind of like pivot and kind of like take a breather and like do something else. And again, I think it helps you or us remember too that we're like a full human and we're not just a runner. Cause I've, I've struggled with that myself, like in my identity and like, who am I? Um, so I think it's nice to have things like that, that like you said, you're using your brain and you're doing all these other things that like make you, you, uh, I think that's really important mm-hmm. to like figure out what that is. That's so important. I think too, I echo both of you there for sure, because when you are a professional athlete and like the goal is the goal, it's easy to just get so locked in and then it means everything. The result means everything. And, and I'm sure for you, Rose coming from like, not a job, like a real job, right? You weren't like working at a running store. You had like a real career to just didn't do nothing. Like it's easy to get hyper-focused and overthink and overanalyze. And sometimes that can steal the joy of what it is that you're doing. So, yeah. I mean, for me, I just had a baby (laughs) to distract me. (laughs) But like, really, I needed a distraction. I wasn't loving it anymore. I was so focused that I didn't know who I was without racing. And the races meant way more. Even though I believe in putting your heart on the line and pouring everything into it, the races, the way it made me feel and the way it meant to me and my worth, it was out of control. 
And it shouldn't, it shouldn't have felt that way. Right. So I love that you started your podcast. You were able to recognize that. I think that's so awesome. And I think it will extend your career so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause it, at the end of the day, race is like so much of it is out of your control. Mm-hmm. So I think if you are like, so focused on, you know, I've got to get this result to like be happy and be fulfilled. It's yeah. It, you know, you just, you don't know it's going to go well. No. Yeah, it can get really dark when you start doing that. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, that can be a slippery slope as well. So um, how is the podcast going? How long have you been doing that? It's really new, but we're really enjoying it. It's We're on episode five, so season one. So yeah, it's a very, very new gig, but um, just started it with one of my good friends who we actually, we met when we were in the same training group. Um, and she she's kind of she works in finance but hates it and she's kind of going through a bit of what I went through of like I don't want to do this like nine to five grind that I don't enjoy anymore so she's having a whole rethink on her job and she's like I want to just do something I love for a bit so she's like I want to start a podcast and I've been thinking about it for ages as well so we came together and just um I feel like we just we also always used to, it's called five miles easy. And we used to do our five miles easy runs together and kind of have a bit of a debrief on like running. And we both have the same, all the same uh, sports psychologist group. And so we used to have a bit of debrief after sessions and talk about a lot like mindset things that we've learned. Um, and we're like, yeah, we can, we can bring this to a podcast. So it's been a really fun project, but yeah, we love it. That's awesome. You get to meet so many cool people. Very true. I guess what's one of the biggest lessons you've learned about podcasting? <laughs> um, I'm not an editor. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my biggest learning. We started off with like, this proper DIY setup in my living room. And, uh, and we were trying to do all the editing. And very quickly, we were like, right, okay, we're going to get an editor. And then we just moved to a studio and we were like, we're just going to go to the studio and do everything for us. <laughs> so we're at that stage. That's why I joined Relay because um, I can talk, but then I don't have to edit <laughs> or at least not yet. No, <laughs> no we never me. will. Yeah. That's not why Carrie and I are here. We're not editors either. <laughs> Matt's probably thinking there's still time there's still time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously talking about editing I think I'm going to have to wrap this up now because I'm going to have to edit this episode so uh, thank you all for joining and uh, <laughs> Rose it's been a pleasure thank you for joining us in this episode of Relay Chat with a Pro uh, Cara, Laura, Peter thanks for joining as well thank you thank you thanks very much for having me